Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. It has been an interesting week here in Texas agriculture. Definitely not a shortage of news to talk about this week. So we appreciate you joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Texas ranchers are doing their part to protect the environment. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. As Texas High Plains farmers get the 2021 season started, what was already a fairly bright outlook, economically speaking, has only gotten better. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. U.S. farmers and ranchers are at the forefront of climate-smart farming, and the numbers prove it. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Only one member of the Texas congressional delegation has a seat on an agriculture committee in the new Congress. That's Congressman Mike Cloud. He represents the Coastal Bend area of Texas, and he says he's looking forward to representing Texas farmers and ranchers on the House Ag Committee. Well, I have to tell you, one of the best things about being on the Ag Committee is just the people you get to work with. You know, these are people who really are all about what America is about, putting in a hard day's work, getting uh, a a good reward for that and and passing on that kind of uh, work ethic and the heartbeat of America to the next generation to do the same. Cloud says typically the Agriculture Committee is one of the most bipartisan committees in Congress. However, this Congress may be a bit different. He says so far there hasn't been much bipartisanship on the committee. A handful of Texas cotton growers are being recognized for their outstanding cotton yields. This year, 78 farmers in Texas, New Mexico, and California qualified for BASF's FiberMax One Ton Club. The designation goes to growers who achieve four bale or greater yields. This year, Apple Creek Farms in Garden City, Texas, was recognized for having the highest yield and gross value. The farm saw an average yield of 2,538 pounds per acre. It earned them a gross value of more than $1,400 an acre. The designation for most acres and variety went to H Bar H Farms in Dalhart. They harvested an average yield of 2,099 pounds per acre on 431 acres. Kendall and Ruthie Holdman of Saragossa saw the highest loan value with 57 cents on their qualifying acres. One farm family even won a truck this year. Charles and Janet Braden of BNP Farms in Garden City will receive a two-year lease on a Ford Super Duty. Farmers and ranchers across the nation do their part to conserve and preserve our natural resources while producing food, fiber, and fuel. Jessica Domel explains. 
As the world celebrates Earth Day this week, many people's focus will turn to the environment, our natural resources, and how they're being used and protected. As Tom mentioned, U.S. farmers, ranchers, dairymen, and agribusinesses have worked for decades to produce more while using less. For more on the sustainability of the beef cattle industry, we're joined today by Dr. Sarah Place. She is the Chief Sustainability Officer for Alenco. Sustainability, though it does have lots of different meanings to different people, there's pretty broad agreement that it's about three main areas. Right? It's about being economically viable, socially responsible, and having environmental stewardship. So I think to directly answer your question, we definitely have folks focused on that every single day. Sustainability and conservation practices vary from area to area and from person to person. Cattle can graze in areas that are not always suitable for crop production, and their grazing can help preserve wildlife habitat, reduce wildfires, and they return manure to the soil. Beef is a nutritious food for humans, but cattle provide more than that. Hundreds of different items come from cattle, from heart valves to leather and everything in between. To zoom out, right, the beef cattle industry itself has been around for quite some time. We know cattle, you know, ruminant animals are very sustainable from a standpoint of upcycling human inedible plants, feedstuffs into higher quality products, right? So the basics of the industry are quite sound. It's more about us just continuously improving over time. The beef cattle industry's efforts have paid off as far as greenhouse gas emissions. Over the past 30 years, beef production has increased 18 percent, while per unit emissions have fallen more than 8 percent. If we take a step back and we look at the U.S. EPA data right, that comes out every April and look at the greenhouse gas emissions across different sectors, beef cattle directly emit around 2 percent of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S., right? So it's not nothing, but it's also clearly it's not the main contributor. If we look at, for example, transportation, electricity, each of those is over 25 percent of our emissions, right? And the industry continues its work every day to do more with less. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. As Texas High Plains farmers began to get their 2021 crop in the ground, the economic outlook is only getting better. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. With planting in its very earliest stages around the area, how's this for some encouragement about the season ahead? This is a rare comment for an economist, I think, but I'm more positive on profitability. I guess I'm more bullish on profitability than I was when we spoke four months ago. That's Texas A&M AgriLife economist Justin Benavidez. And indeed, Dr. Benavidez and I did have a conversation back at the first of the year, and at that time he felt commodity prices for row crops were strong enough that our local farmers would have the opportunity to make money in the 2021 season. Well, looking at what's happened since the first day of trading this year, prices have only gotten stronger. As we've seen December corn climb by about a dollar a bushel, and cotton and sorghum prices have also jumped significantly. Now, we've also seen input costs rise as well, but Dr. Benavides thinks farmers are in a position to absorb the impact. Commodity prices, at the moment at least, have risen at kind of a faster clip than have some of our input prices. And on the other side of that equation as well, an incremental increase in price, you know, a 1% increase in price has a much bigger impact on the entire balance sheet than does a 1% increase in 
say, a specific fertilizer or irrigation fuel or something like that. So things do sound pretty upbeat for farmers, at least when we look at things from a market perspective. Of course, what many of you are already thinking, I'm sure, is that to get full benefit of these commodity prices, we're going to need some rain. Hopefully that situation will get better soon. In our next report, we'll hear what Dr. Benavides has to say about what the prospects for profitability are this year over in the cattle business. A bit more of an uphill climb for our local producers there, perhaps. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. With the focus on Earth Day this week, farmers and ranchers are making their case as the original environmentalists. Gary Joyner has more. America's farmers and ranchers are putting scientific solutions, technology, and innovation to work. Their efforts protect our land, air, and water. It's climate-smart farming, and they're doing it every day. U.S. agriculture contributes around 10% to overall greenhouse gas emissions by economic sector. Thanks to farmers' dedication to conserve natural resources, that share drops to negative 2% when additional carbon-absorbing practices are factored in. Not only are agriculture's overall emissions low, farmers and ranchers are taking active steps to make their footprint even smaller. More than 140 million acres of U.S. farmland are used for conservation efforts and wildlife habitats. That land area is equal to the states of California and New York combined. Pretty impressive. Livestock emissions are an easy target, but don't be fooled. Livestock emissions continue to make up less than 4% of overall greenhouse gases by economic sector. In fact, dairy and milk production, beef production, and pork production have all increased in the last 30 years, while per-unit emissions have fallen. It's a success story that continues to break new ground, doing more with less. That's American agriculture. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. The Environmental Protection Agency recently released new annual data on greenhouse gas emissions. Michael Clements reports from Washington. The newest annual greenhouse gas inventory report from the Environmental Protection Agency offers a sector-by-sector look at emissions. As we celebrate Earth Day, American Farm Bureau Federation economist Shelby Myers says the report includes good news for agriculture. They just finalized their newest report, and for agriculture, we stayed relatively neutral compared to last year, and U.S. agriculture greenhouse gas emissions contribute just 10.2% overall compared to some of the other economic sectors like transportation, electricity, industry, commercial, and residential. Myers attributes the findings to the conservation efforts by farmers and ranchers. We're actively trying to make our footprint even smaller, converting waste into energy, applying conservation and working lands programs into our everyday cropping systems, and really utilizing the tools at hand to work on things like carbon sequestration. And if you look over the last 70 years, U.S. farms have nearly tripled in production, but the amount of resources that we put into that, like land, energy, and fertilizer, has remained nearly stable. Meyer says it is important farmers and ranchers make sure others know about their success. We've been doing such great work over the last 100 plus years in our ability to conserve resources and produce food. And so continue to tell our story, talk about the improvements that we've made through innovation and technology and how it's contributed to reducing our emissions and reducing our overall environmental footprint. From Washington, I'm Michael Clements for Texas Ag Today. Texas landowners are helping endangered whooping cranes. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Act today. And red eyes in dogs can be a common occurrence, but it could be a serious situation. 
Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Like humans, dogs can get red eyes from time to time. It's a fairly common occurrence. However, there are some situations where it can be a serious problem. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Dogs can have red eyes for any number of reasons, and the most common is just getting dirt or dust in their eye. The tissue around the eye, called the conjunctiva, becomes red and ocular discharge and squinting may occur due to the inflammation. Lots of folks suspect their dog may have just got something in the eye when they see a red eye and think it's not important. However, if the red eye persists for longer than 12 hours or if your dog is squinting the eye or has ocular discharge, your dog should be examined by your veterinarian. A common problem secondary to getting something in the eye is a corneal abrasion or ulcer. And these are very painful and can lead to severe infection and blindness if not treated appropriately. A condition that can lead to corneal ulcers is dry eye called keratoconjunctivitis sicca. And this condition is common, especially in smaller dogs. A lack of tear production allows the eyes to dry out and ulcers may develop. Long term, the eyes have lots of thick discharge and eventually black pigment will develop on the cornea and will lead to visual defects and blindness. Another cause of red eye in dogs is glaucoma and this is due to an increase in pressure inside the eye. Some breeds are more susceptible to glaucoma, and this is another reason that dogs with red eyes should be examined by a veterinarian, because if glaucoma is involved, it can lead to blindness very quickly without appropriate treatment. Blindness can occur within hours, so a vet exam should not be delayed. Uveitis can also cause the tissues around the eye to be red and can lead to blindness and glaucoma. So if your dog has a red eye, it may be a simple problem but could also be a more serious condition. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas landowners are helping endangered whooping cranes. Jessica Domel tells how in today's wildlife reports. The support and dedication of private landowners in Texas has encouraged two pairs of endangered whooping cranes to nest here for the first time in recent history. As we told you on our last show, the nesting pairs came over from Louisiana. They are part of a reintroduction effort by U.S. Fish and Wildlife and the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. The whooping cranes are currently nesting on private property in Jefferson and Chambers counties. Wade Harrell, FWS's whooping crane coordinator, says the whooping cranes are moving back and forth to Louisiana. The uh, rice and crawfish wetlands are very similar to what they're using and nesting in in Louisiana. So I think it's just an outcome of the population continuing to grow and succeed with that reintroduction effort. You know, they don't know where the border is. And so they just go out and seek out the habitats that suit them and uh, are making use of that. Harrell said the farmers are giving the nesting cranes a wide berth so they can nest in peace. 
We don't think the farming itself really has an adverse impact on the whooping cranes. The farmers are currently harvesting crawfish out of one field, and they did move a little bit further away from the nest with their traps, but otherwise they're continuing their operations. And we've seen that same thing happen in Louisiana without any problems for the nesting pairs, as long as they have a little bit of space, they do just fine. Carol says it's partnerships like these with landowners that help ensure endangered whooping crane populations continue to grow. I think it says something about the private landowners that we have here in Texas that maintain high-quality habitat for wildlife. That was Wade Harrell with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I'm Jessica Dolmel with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. It was a fairly crazy day in the markets on Thursday. Corn and wheat both hit limit up. And that tends to have the opposite effect on the cattle market. Lower closes for both live and feeder cattle futures. We'll take a look back at all of Thursday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It's been off to the races for the grain markets this week, both corn and wheat. Taking off to the upside, we even hit limit up at some point in the trading session on Thursday in both wheat and corn. However, that tends to have an opposite effect on livestock. And we definitely saw a lower close for both live and feeder cattle futures Thursday. We'll start with live cattle. April down a dollar forty-five, one eighteen thirty-two. June live cattle down a dollar forty, one fifteen eighty-five. The August down a dollar twenty-five at one sixteen seventy-two. Feeder cattle lower. April down two eighty-five, one thirty-two twenty-five. May feeders down two fifty-seven, one thirty-seven oh two. The August down three fifty-five. 148.37. Cash fed cattle market still fairly quiet on Thursday. We did see some sales develop here in Texas at 120. Up in Kansas, no sales, but the bids were around 118. Most of the asking prices this week still around 121 to 122. Boxed beef continues to climb higher. Choice up 93 cents, 281.39. Select up 291 at 274.79. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear auctioneer Troy sound off, he's out in Angelo, San Angelo, Texas, helping sell those sheep and goats with producers and Cargyle. Benny Cox, how did the sheep and goat sale go this week? Oh, we got along, Larry. There's a lot of people thought it would have been a good bit softer yesterday. We had 81.14 compared with last week, these uh, wool feeder lamb types. And we didn't have a lot of them. They sold steady. Uh, on your slaughter lambs or your hair sheep type, those under 60 pounds, I'd say they were sure steady. You might even call them 
on the firm side. When you got into those heavier weight lambs, they could have been 10, some of them as much as $20 lower. And I'm talking about those lambs weighing 70 plus, you know, where the uh, biggest fall off would have been 80 plus pounders still selling awful good. These slaughter ewes, they were kind of weak to $5 lower. We had quite a few slaughter ewes yesterday. Kid goats sold mostly steady on your uh, slaughter nannies. They sell from 150 to 220 mostly $2 to 215 Your big billies uh, from 210 to 260 The wool feeder lamb types sell from 276 to 292 Of course, the 292 would be some real light lambs. On these uh, slaughter lambs, uh, the hair type, the light end of those from 270 to 320 Heavier weights from 230 up to 276 On the slaughter ewes, 90 to 140 mostly 115 to 125 On the kid goats, they sold in a range from 350 to 475 mostly 425 to 455 It's hard to see anything bring under $4 unless it's just a big old thing or, or some of these things that weren't very good in quality. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. They can call me on my mobile. It's 325-234-4277. Or they can call the office, which is the same area code, 653-3371. Always look at the web, which is producersincargyle.com. Again, that's Benny Cox, Producers in Cargyle. Benny, thank you so much. And Texas Farming and Ranching neighbors, thank you so much for listening to Walk in the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host. My name's Larry Marble. Good day to you. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs close lower. May down 15 cents, 107.45. June hogs down 97 at 103.55. Class 3 milk was lower. April down a nickel, 17.65. A hundredweight. May milk down 48 cents at 18.68. The cotton market closed narrowly mixed. Not a lot of news in the cotton market right now, especially when all eyes are on the crazy grain trade. We'll get to that in just a second. First, here's how the cotton market closed. May cotton down 19 points, 84.64. July down 18 at 86.05. New crop December cotton up 6 points, 83.75. Now to the grain markets, where we hit limit up in many contracts in both corn and wheat on Thursday. First, the wheat market continues to be concerned about the freezing temperatures we've had this week. Of course, we got some of that in North Texas and the Texas Panhandle, but it also was even worse in Oklahoma and Kansas, where that crop is definitely vulnerable to the cold weather. We don't know what the damage is right now, but it's being priced into the market. July Kansas City wheat up 37 cents on Thursday, closing at 6.74 and three quarters. Soft wheat in Chicago jumped above $7. The July contract up 35 and a half to close at 7.10 and a half. And we saw the craziness continue in the corn market. Three factors we're watching there. First, very dry conditions in Brazil. Secondly, here at home, very strong demand for old crop corn. And we continue to see strong demand from China. That caused the May contract to jump 25 cents. It closed at 6.50 and a half. September corn up 20 and a quarter, 577 and a quarter. December corn up 16 and three quarters, 553 and a quarter. In the energy markets, May natural gas was up a nickel, 274. June crude oil up 28 cents, 61.63 a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 321 points, 33,815. The NASDAQ down 131 at 13,818. The S&P 500 down 38 points, 4,134. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. 
For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.